welcome to episode 8 of Wavelength. Uh, the last episode we had to wrap up quickly because some of us had a few things to do and uh, this is gonna be basically a continuation of last week's episode uh, and even though we're doing like we're still sticking to the bi-weekly schedule but because this is basically a continuation we just wanted to release it uh, early and just like uh, last week I have Marco and Ben with me hello guys hey hey thanks for having me back you're welcome so we capped last week's uh, episode with Doom and I think it's appropriate to take this a step further and talk about my experience with some of the shooters that I played this year after Doom. Um, so after Doom, I, if you remember, Marco, I went to you and I just asked you for recommendations because mm-hmm. I love Doom and it, 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 it just made me want to play more, uh, first person shooters. And, um, you gave me a long list of games and one of them was Wolfenstein, the new order. Right. And it is fundamentally different than Doom in every possible way. Mm-hmm. But I really love the game. I, I enjoyed the story. Uh, I did have uh, a few really cool conversations uh, between the characters. Um, I did enjoy the characters. I I like the gameplay. I like the stealth in the game. Um, before, no, actually after Wolfenstein, I played uh, Battlefield 1 and I didn't really like how they handled stealth. It felt like just uh, uh, something they added without much thought. Whereas... With Wolfenstein, stealth is basically the main mechanic of the game. You can, of course, um, just go into the rooms and kill enemies, but um, I, most of the time, I would just play the game in stealth mode, and it really felt like a very good experience. And whereas Doom would throw you in an arena with tons and tons of enemies, uh, Wolfenstein would just put you in like small sections and there are enemies and you just have to read the room and uh, try to figure out how to take down those enemies. And one really curious thing about it is that it doesn't have a minimap, which means a lot of, a lot of stealth games usually put a minima- minimap for you and let you know where each enemy is. And Yeah, ruining everything. Exactly, yeah. Uh, um, and I actually, like, I, I kind of complained about this. Like, I, I, I mm-hmm. went to you and I told you, like, it's weird how this game doesn't have um, a minimap. And maybe I was, like, maybe I was thinking about Metal Gear and Dice X, but it re- it's really good to not have a minimap because when you have a minimap in any kind of game, most of the time you're just playing through that small screen all the time. Uh, and you're, you're focusing on it and... and the the mm-hmm. more the the more the minimap hides you, the more you're gonna be dependent on it, and you're, the more you're just gonna be glued to it and you're trying to extract informations. Whether the 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 range of vision of the enemy is 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 um, yeah, whether they're seeing seeing you or not, and all of that. And because Wolfenstein doesn't have any of that, it just forced me to have the courage to pop out from cover every now and then and try to mm-hmm. sneak a view whether I can actually go and kill an enemy or not. And the game is is generous. The, the, like the enemies don't uh, sound the alarm the, the, the second they, they see you, which of course is a, is a good design decision. So uh, I just, I really love the game. Uh, and um, 
uh, coming out of Doom and Wolfenstein to Battlefield 1 and Call of Duty Infinite Warfare was really difficult because I, at that point, I have played two of some of the best shooters that have been released recently and going to the regular AAA shooters, Call of Duty and Battlefield, it just felt really mm-hmm. not satisfying and, and boring. And I, I couldn't continue uh, Battlefield, just played a few chapters and I, I only played maybe 40 minutes, 50 minutes of Call of Duty. I do intend to finish it, but what I played so far is just like, it, it's, it's, it's just a taking cover and shooting and taking cover and shooting. And it's just so boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I think Doom is like a lot of people have said, you know, just such a resurgence of, of what a lot of us consider to be old school gameplay. But for, I think for a lot of players who have been, used to playing sort of the Call of Duty's uh, of the world for the last decade or more. Uh, it must seem very weird and fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that means people get excited and they do sort of find that trend towards just different styles of gameplay more interesting. Because I think, like you are saying, Mohammed, you know, like games like this used to not all be the same. You know, they were yeah. Doom clones, but then you would also have weird, you know, melee combat games, weird... Uh, games in different settings and and uh, lots of titles that used FPS as a as a loose genre as a loose series of mechanics, but weren't all the same. I mean, even technically, like Jumping Flash was like almost like a weird FPS, you know, for PS One, but it wasn't it wasn't all. It was just a weird first person, you know, something game. And then everything kind of got crystallized into this one single formula that pretty much every game has used for the last fifteen years or so. Yep. Uh, and it's amazing that it's taken us so long to get back to where we can have some variety in the genre again. But, you know, people have been saying, you know, Overwatch and Doom and Wolfenstein and whatnot have kind of breathed some life back into it. So do you guys think that we'll see more, like more, you know, first person shooting games that aren't just how we have seen FPSs in, in the last uh, so long? I think that, I mean, just like most other genres that have found big, big success in the AAA sort of triple development to triple games have been homogenized to some degree and that's gonna keep happening i think and you always have uh then you have developers sort of uh trying to change the, the status quo and then they come up with a new with with something that is either a throwback or it's just a fundamental change to the formula and then you have a lot of uh other developers imitating that again but the effort to homogenize and to come up with a formula that works also has to do with just uh, 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 capitalism at the end of the day. Because what what you want to do is that's the Ubisoft the, the the Ubisoft school of design, right? I mean, they want to pump out a sequel to any of their open world franchises like every year, so they want to find the winning formula, and then every year it's basically the same. But it's also those kind of games where. Um, you're basically those open world games because that goes back to what Mo said about the minimap. Um, you're essentially playing for most. That's that's how I play. End up playing those games, and that's why I find them pretty frustrating. You you end up just playing a mini game in the bottom left corner. You just mm-hmm. look. You just look at a little map, and you navigate using that. That's the problem. They're, they've become so efficient and so useful. Uh, uh, air quotes that you just end up. Um, looking at those mini maps like you don't even look at what's happening like you can navigate the entire massive worlds by just looking at the mini map right and 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 everything's become so streamlined and and basically ubisoft is like is its own genre now like ubisoft open world game that's a genre right <laughs> right and and 
And it was the same with FPS, right? I mean, it's the same with the, the Call of Duty clones. I mean, they became the 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 AAA corridor shooter. It's just something that, um, uh, by the way, Wolfenstein is not a game that, I mean, it really really refined a lot of those things. It it, it was heavy on story. It was uh, it did have uh, shooting gallery sections that were reminiscent of that sort of AAA uh, sensibility, but mm-hmm. it did. Um, a lot of them really, really well and much better than any other AAA game that I have seen. And one other thing that I want to say about Wolfenstein is that it does not get enough credit for the writing that game. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's it's remarkable that people people talk about uh, The Last of Us, which uh, deservedly so, I think it's, it has great writing, great storytelling, but um, all the people, people tend to talk about stuff like Bioshock and so on, which I think is, that's just... I don't know. I, I really, those those kind of games don't really do much for me in terms of story. Mm. And I think Wolfenstein has seriously some of the best dialogue written in a AAA FPS. It has beautiful storytelling, great cutscenes, great characters, and it has from someone who uh, um, speaks German and having that the, uh, those two languages in there, and then having the char- characters uh, speak in those languages. And sometimes there's just not subtitles. There, there, there's a lot of chatter between the Nazis and between uh, the German characters. And they just don't bother subtitling that in English. And I, <clears throat> I kind of like that <clears throat> because it adds something to to the the setting usually. Or the, the player feels more like, well, this is how, ex- how I would experience it, right? But understanding a lot of that German dialogue, I have to say it's remarkably well voice acted. And it's just really well written. And there's so much nuance in the writing of that game, but people tend to dismiss it because they think Wolfenstein is kind of, oh, that's kind of like a trashy, B-tier, pulp stuff. You know, they don't really think of, of games like that having good writing. So you don't see a lot of people talk about that. But I think it's really one of the standout AAA games of the last few years with some of the best writing that I have come across. I've probably deviated so much from what you had originally asked, Ben, but uh, here I am. <laughs> Um, I did really love the writing, and there is there is one scene where um, uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but basically, one character, like your own character, suddenly wakes up from sleep, and you see a a, a another weird character, like it's 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 a like it's a good character on your side, but uh, always felt weird, and she's uh sitting on a chair just staring at you and she starts just talking about life and goes on a long philosophical rant and i just loved it because i i wasn't i simply wasn't expecting something as heavy as that from the game and in general like like it i mean it, it does have some funny bits here and there but it never felt like a a comical game uh to me it it i i thought i thought it really had a good uh grasp of where it was headed, which was kind of serious most of the time, uh, and uh, there is one level uh, where you're um, so most of the time you're just fighting those uh, Nazi soldiers uh, and robots and all of that, and there is one level where the designers subvert that thing and they present something really different from everything. Uh, that you've played so far and you see these soldiers in a new light and they're, they're, they're dealing with new things and some of it was really amazing and how it just made me kind of develop some kind of empathy to these monsters basically um mm-hmm. and i just loved it i, I love that the game kept on really trying to do new things that i've 
never seen before in a uh, in a shooter. And uh, like you said, it really had good writing. Uh, I like that it just wasn't a, a, a cover shooter. Uh, if if you just storm your way through those uh, uh, sections, maybe you'll have to take cover. Uh, but it, it's it's really not designed that way. And uh, you asked Ben whether we'll see like a some kind of a resurgence in shooters and uh i did play titanfall 2 the single player campaign um right sadly i played it after doom which means it, it i mean it didn't leave a big impact on me as much as it did on many others uh maybe maybe just because i came out of of, of doom playing 40 hours and just of, of having such a great experience whereas titanfall 2 it's a short game something like Maybe six hours, which is which is something I like actually. I, yeah, I, I, I love shorter games. Now I, I don't want long games. I don't want something that's thirty, forty hours. Um, but um, Titanfall two have a lot of uh, a lot of really good, interesting stuff. It lets you uh, just fight regular enemies just like any other shooter. But it also lets you board uh, giant robots and you find other giant robots. And I I like this uh, combination and some of the environments are really beautiful and lush uh, but i felt that it didn't do enough with them just because it's a short game it just gives you a little bit of everything and sometimes i felt like i needed to play more um it, it does have one really uh beautiful section um that everyone is praising uh rightfully so i think i, I loved it uh, i can't really talk about it without spoiling it so i won't but um i i really appreciate that they included a single player campaign here because the original game didn't and i think the campaign here wasn't just some pseudo tutorial thing where you just kind of uh, be familiar with the game and then jump to the uh, multiplayer because I still didn't play the multiplayer of Titanfall 2 and I don't think I ever will. I, I just bought it for the single player campaign and I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot and it it, it did make me um, think of like I, I hope we get a lot of shooters like this where they're trying to do something different and not just making another cover shooter and uh, actually Playing Titanfall 2 is the reason that I went and bought uh, Call of Duty because I felt well, I'm just having such a great time with 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 these first person shooters. So maybe, like maybe this is the Call of Duty that I will like because the the last right. Call of Duty that I finished was Call of Duty 3. I didn't play Modern Warfare 2. I maybe only played it for one hour back then. So I thought even if I end up not liking Infinite Warfare, then maybe I will enjoy the Modern Warfare Remastered, which I still didn't uh, play. But uh, yeah, my, my first hour with Call of Duty Infinite Warfare wasn't really that impressive. It, it, it didn't impress me. I know I know it's not much. I know that the game will like play in space or whatever. I know I have a lot of things to see. I look forward to that. But uh, I think it's a, it's a good year for um, shooters in general. Ben, have you played any of the recent big FPS? Have you played Wolfenstein? I haven't played Wolfenstein yet. And it's it's funny, Mohamed, what you're saying, because I haven't, as much as I complain about the games, I've never played a single Call of Duty game because I'm just <laughs> so turned off by them. I don't blame I, I just don't, I don't like war. I'm like that guy who just hates, I hate war games. Like I just find yeah. them of offensive. They just seem so, Yeah. Ugh, there's so many things about them that don't have anything to do with gameplay that bug me. 
Uh, so as much as I might ever get into them and think, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if I played a bunch, I'd actually really like them. But there's this this sort of, for me, this like cultural barrier that I just can't get past. Mm-hmm. So every time I see them, I just think, no, I can't do it. It's just kind of like listening to a genre of music you don't like, you know, even if there's some some skill there uh, that you could appreciate after a while. You just can't, you know, you just can't uh, get into it because you don't like what banjo sound like or something. Right. Um. So I've been, so because of that, I have been, uh, and just sort of because of so many of the FPSs that have come out in so long, and like you say, cover-based shooters, uh, shooting games in general have really turned me off over probably 15 to 20 years. Mm. Um, and in fact, you know, I wasn't going to play The Last of Us because I had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it's not a shooter, but, you know, cover base. Uh, but my friend, my good friend kind of said, like, just, I think you should just trust me on this one. I think you're going to like it. And he was right. I did like it. But it was somewhat despite itself, I think, despite, you know, the sort of cover base right. shooting gameplay. Uh, I actually can't play any cover base shooter game. I just hate them all. It's just that mechanic. Yeah. Everything about them. I played Gears of War 1 and I really loved it back, you know, when 360 came out. And after that, I was like, that's what that game is. I totally mm-hmm. get it. Uh, and I never wanted to play another one. I kind of felt like I had my feel of that. But as games have gotten sort of more like hyper-realistic and uh, uh, like with sort of like the shooting violence, and I think a lot of them are pretty mean-spirited. And again, this has nothing to do with gameplay, but it's just the, the like I said, the barriers that prevent me from enjoying them. I look at a game and I think, oh, I can, I can see all the other things that would be good about this game, uh, such as there might actually be some really nice story beats or some other good you know, character interaction or just some amazing tech that's really fun to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I just can't ever play a game where I'm a soldier shooting people unless it's a space shoulder or soldier shooting demons. Cause it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, uh, I've watched a bunch of games sort of just fly by the past decade or so. And I go, Oh, those might be cool, but I just can't do it. You know, I just can't get into them. So I'm hoping that with doom and, and sort of Wolfenstein and, uh, and, even, you know, Overwatch and, and things like that, that we will get more games that use mechanics that I don't hate, but start bringing them more into themes and worlds and, and situations that I can actually get behind. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's rare that someone uh, um, is outspoken about that. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I'm glad you mentioned that, Ben, that you're that it's just a, a personal, maybe even a... a on a moral level, that is just culturally that doesn't uh, appeal to you about those kinds of games because it's something that uh, inside the gaming community it, people don't don't talk about that. It's just it's just assumed that everyone's into these kind of games, and if you're not into them, it's just because you don't like this style of gameplay. But right. I, I have uh, I can totally relate to that, and I uh, I need to. Uh, um, sort of regulate my dose of like war and gore and and violence in games a lot too because i find if i play uh like one or two games in a row that are heavy on uh, on the war and violence and and gore in general um i get pretty uh sick of it and for me i have a different barrier where when when something is uh, doom was probably an exception that i made because i really really like the game a lot but i'm not big on on the whole gore thing Right. Like if there's, it seems to me that for for a lot of gamers, it's 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 just there's no end. There's just no limit to how much gore they can take or how much like the more gore the better in general with everything, be it demons or right. people or whatever. And to me, I have a big aversion to that. And I know that people they talk about blah 
Bloodborne being the best game ever and, and whatever. But the one thing that's holding me back from, from playing a game like Bloodborne is just the gore. I look at it and it's just so fundamentally unappealing to me. Mm-hmm. The amount of the amount of blood and ripping uh, uh, of 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 uh, limbs being uh, uh, cut off and whatever, and it's just uh, um, I just have I, I just don't like it. I don't like seeing it and like being a part of it. And so it's kind of strange that I that I ended up liking Doom, but I think with Doom it's just so so comical. It's just mm-hmm. it, it just yeah. seems like they're really going for something else uh, that that I enjoy it, but. For me, it's usually that when when it's, when something gets too gory, I, I I just can't play it. So I appreciate you saying that because it's something that you can't really. It feels like sometimes in the in the gaming community, you're you're not supposed to talk about these things. You're just yeah. supposed to accept that these are the these are the games, and they all have their merits. And if you don't like a specific game because of a cultural or a personal moral reason then there's something wrong with you or you should sure. just get over it or something like that so i think it's good to have these discussions and it's they rarely had i find oh yeah and and the funny thing is you notice how like if you don't if you if you just aren't into certain games because of like you say like whether it's the sort of content or or other reasons um it's only then that you quickly realize how many how many games are produced that are all essentially the exact same content. Yeah. Uh, and you want, you know, like I said, you might want to get into them because of gameplay reasons, but like how many Desert War shooters can you play? If you if you like them and you can't get enough of them, then man, is it ever a good time to sort of be into, into shooters and whatnot. <laughs> but if you don't, it's kind of like I'm kind of bored of a lot of superhero movies and things like mm. that. So my... My movie slate is pretty open for a while because yeah. any any of the big movies that I love seeing in the summer are generally all of the same variety. So once once you get over that, you're kind of left looking for other options. And I think it's like the homogeny of games is our. I think it's our biggest failing as an industry is how quickly mm-hmm. uh, we race to take one good idea and then just sort of repeat it at at infinitum. You know, like. Gears of War 1 was essentially um, a riff on Resident Evil 4, obviously with very different tone and all that stuff, but it was like a gameplay mechanic with a whole bunch of other layers of stuff. And then, man, how many years later? And we're still basically playing Gears of War, yeah. uh, like on the majority of AAA games. So like, I don't really like Uncharted games like at all. I played the first one and didn't like it. Mm. And so I basically get... You haven't missed anything. Yeah, like to me, I get to sort of like... <laughs> go hang out at the kids table while everyone talks about their game of the year for the next 10 years. And I think, man, yeah. I don't like any of these. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's just weird to me. And it's, and it's weird. And again, this is a bigger discussion maybe for another time, but it's weird that compared to a lot of other industries, um, like you say, that discussion doesn't happen. And also how quickly we are willing to uh, disregard how important variety uh, and sort of uh, versatility of content is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I played the uh, Gears of War for um this year. I played it co-op with my friend. I did play the Horde mode, and I I gotta say I really enjoyed it for what it is. Uh, but I didn't play Gears of War two or three, even though I really loved one. I played it a lot, co-op and and online and everything. Um, and four really to me it, it feels like I'm playing the same game like it's still gears of war you're still just taking cover mm-hmm. throwing grenades at those mm-hmm. pits where enemies uh, spawn from and shooting from cover and uh, like 
I, I, I don't mind it. I like that. I enjoyed the co-op with my friend, but I don't want every game to be like that. It's just boring mm -hmm. when you have 17,000 games every single year that all utilize the exact same mechanics. Um, and one game, one shooter that I really loved made me start thinking differently about shooters is super hot and apparently this is a hyped game that i somehow missed i i, I wasn't around when it was uh released it talked about um and it's an indie game i played two hours of it but i can already say it's it's one of my favorite shooter experiences and i love how it really just subverts everything you know about shooters it's uh it's a shooter game where now it's an abstract from a visual point it's an abstract game meaning like everything you see is is shades of uh, white and and gray and and red your enemies are i think they're in red and um you can have a gun or it it, it kind of gives you those challenges or those sections so each level is a small challenge that you have to finish and the idea of the game is that everything moves only when you move. So you see the enemies in front of you. Maybe one of them has a gun and nothing, almost nothing happens. Like it, it moves in really extremely, extremely slow motion. Um, but when you move, stuff happens. So when an enemy shoots, if you move, the bullet will move. If you don't, the bullet will stop. So it, kind of lets you play a shooter game in a methodical way because you're not thinking on your feet all the time. Well, you are thinking strategically, but you're not doing it the same way you're doing with Doom, where, where you have to just make split-second decisions all the time. And here, you just have to think exactly what you want to do. And um, the more that you progress, the more that the game uh, kind of give gives you these kind of buzzly encounters where you have to figure out how to uh, 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 defeat the enemies or how to, for example, uh, get rid of the guy who has the shotgun because the shotgun shoots something like seven bullets at the same time. They go in different directions. And I loved it because um, now indies have been experimenting with all kinds of genres, which I think is really an amazing thing right but shooters just because of their nature usually a, sh a first person shooter is a game that's graphically tasking and uh, it just demands a lot of uh, a lot of um maybe development time you need a lot of people you need a lot of different uh, um uh, people with different skills and it's just a, i've always thought that it's a very difficult genre for a small independent team to tackle and with super hot they kind of um uh, change the, the 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 format of what a shooter could be, and maybe that that's how they uh, uh, that's what enabled them to make a first person shooter. But it really just subverts uh, uh, the idea of a first person shooter, and I loved it. And um, it's it's one of my highlights of the year. Um, I have yet to finish it, but I'm really really excited to uh, go back and play. And I really hope we get to see more of these games that are just about gameplay invention instead of just war glorification because with call of duty um before i bought infinite warfare like it was just a decision between me and myself i just kept thinking i one of the big reasons that i dislike call of duty is the way it glorifies killing 
other people basically and it's it's, yeah. it's not it's not aliens it's not monsters it's, it's uh, sometimes arabs sometimes just different nationalities and i just don't like that and i remember with call of duty 4 modern warfare um um so it's a game in iraq but uh, a lot of the signs the arabic signs aren't written in in actual legible arabic so that offended me because you have a game where you're killing Arabs all the time, but you're like, and you're a massive, massive studio and you don't have the time to just bring one person to tell you like, this is not Arabic. Like this is nothing. This is just Arabic letters. So right. ever, ever since then, I have really not wanted to try a Call of Duty game. And when buying this one, I just kept thinking like, do I want to break my, uh, the back that I, that I had, uh, for myself? And I just decided to, try for more time and and maybe i'll have new ideas maybe i'll i'll just shun it forever we will see but uh yeah i i hope we see more more um new experiences that are about gameplay and not about just repeating what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. totally have you guys ever played the uh game 8-bit killer uh nope i have not it no. it is an indie game that was released back in 2008 uh, by Locomolito, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I might be totally butchering that. Uh, and it's a, it's like a Wolfenstein style, um, 3D first person shooter, mm-hmm. but where all the textures end up giving the color palette and sort of the general feel of an NES game. Mm-hmm. And it's got this like ridiculous, you know, whatever action movies, uh, type of backstory and whatnot. And it's basically just like a one person, kind of job i remember playing back when i was learning how to make indie games and kind of just getting into things and that was the first time i had seen a quote-unquote modern first-person shooter the way i remember them Mm -hmm. you know being growing up on sort of like wolfenstein and uh even like catacombs 3d before that and eventually doom uh and i remember once i finally played that i said oh man i really hope we're gonna get this amazing resurgence of you know like wolfenstein and doom style games where people people create awesome 2d sprite work and like weird ray casting engines and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, and i don't i don't think that ever really happened i still kind of hope it will and when i first saw the trailer for super hot the uh, what i thought was oh okay maybe we're this is where people are gonna start making you know weird as hell uh shooter games again and we're gonna get back to that that weird spirit of what it what you can what can you do with a game that's you know, got your hand sticking out with a gun or something gun-like in it. And it kind of felt like before that, the only game that did anything new with that was Portal, or like the only big game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then everyone tried to make a million bad Portal clones. Yeah. Uh, and then every indie game student mm-hmm. in the world decided they were going to make the new Portal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then that just kind of died off. And then we sort of went back to the way things are. But it's like these little weird games like that that I would just, like, I'd love to play even more like a 3ds or vita style uh you know doom game essentially or something that like somehow uses uses the build engine from duke nukem but makes something completely different just some like weird horror adventure do you know uh, lovely planet that indie game yes i have not played that yet but i remember seeing the trailer for that and thinking thinking those very same things yeah i i, I actually haven't played it myself i still haven't gotten around to it but that might be uh, uh, right up your alley, Dan. If you because it's it's like it's got this super cutesy aesthetic, right? Yeah. And you're not. I mean, you're shooting guys, but you're not really actually know what you're doing with that weird gun that you have. 
And it's at right. the same time, it's like a, a twitchy speedrunning platformer thing. And you have to shoot guys and there's hearts and it's colorful. It looks kind of more like a, a stripped down Mario game, like in terms of the, the aesthetic, right? And I've heard so much good stuff about that. So that is pretty much uh, what I would hope. Uh, what I personally hoped would be we would have more of like this kind of using the first person perspective and maybe even shooting mechanics to explore something that is not necessarily about gore and violence and war and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wish we had more of that, but you know, indies with indies, it's really no different than with triple a. There's usually a genre that a lot of developers latch onto and, Oh yeah. And, uh, the, there's a there's a million clones and and but of course it is definitely also true that that there's much more exploration of new ideas and gameplay in in the indie scene that there uh, will ever be in AAA anymore. Which by the way used to not be the case really. I mean during the PS2 um, era we had a lot more mid tier games that yeah. got to get published. I just recently talked about this on Twitter when I mentioned, you know, there's has anyone played Deadly Creatures, that game where you're like a scorpion and you're a spider? Right. And right. Um, like, and that was a major, I forget what publisher it was, but it was a major publisher. It was a sort of a, a triple A studio that made that sort of mid-tier and it got a big publisher's backing. It was released as a triple A retail game and there, this could never happen again. You know, this yeah. is yeah. going to, this is, we're never going to go back there. I mean, this, these types of games, if you're going to see them anywhere, they're going to be in, uh, uh, in the indie scene, but triple uh, A, that's, that's it. We're not going to get those experiments again. That's over. Yeah. It's a THQ, by the way. A THQ, right. Oh yeah. Um, and, um, like in the, in the original PlayStation and PlayStation 2, like even, even with things, um, like RBGs, uh, we had a lot of, variety and that of course we had the big stuff like Final fantasy Dragon quest but there were a lot of many 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 different um twists on the rpg genre and right now it feels that every rpg game that's released like it, it feels like an event like this is a game that you want to mm. take a look at and and may maybe you want to contemplate buying whereas back then we just had tons and tons of really interesting games that were all trying to do different things whereas now um it's just uh, uh much different and uh, for obvious reasons of course it's just uh it's just sad that because games are getting increasingly expensive publishers are backing away from supporting these uh kind of ideas that might not make business sense on paper but when they're out there and people you know like them and they sell well uh, it makes sense but of course you can't predict that so it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's disappointing. Um, what about you, Marco? Um, well, actually, the, the other the other games on my list, uh, Doom is really pretty much the only thing that I played this year that I really liked that was a shooter. Everything else that's on my list is, um, is not... Uh, there's no shooting. There's mostly not even any violence. And uh, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that there's at least still enough games coming out that you have a large selection, a big pool to, uh, um, you know, to, to pick from and you don't have to shoot people in the face. And mm -hmm. I think I would like to talk about something that you guys have played too. I mean, I, I, but but I think we're looking at the list that I have in front of me. It's the two, the two games that have meant a lot to me this year uh, were the, the Witness and Inside. Mm 
And I don't know. I think Mo, you have played a bit of The Witness. Uh, ben, I don't yeah. know. Inside The Witness, have you played any of them? I haven't played either of them. No. Okay. But that's well, fine. And yeah. Feel it... free. To, yeah. Feel free to spoil anything for either of those games for me. <laughs> no, it's no, totally fine. I just want to hear what you think about it. I actually think. I mean, with The Witness, there's really not that much that you can spoil. I think that. The, the the reason why I think the witness is interesting to discuss is because um, um, for two reasons. Uh, one thing is that I'm not actually a big puzzle game fan. I'm really not. I'm not really into because from uh, uh, a lot of the time, puzzle games follow this philosophy of taking simple ideas and then escalating them to increasing uh, insane complexity relatively quickly and i just get immediately bored of that or i just it just turns me off really really quickly mm. and so uh jonathan blow tends to not do that even though he just he, he tends to design uh, uh puzzle games or to have uh, big puzzle elements they tend to be about specific ideas that um he, he sort of explores and and escalates within that same framework with, without ever blowing them up to a degree that you just feel like he's just adding a ton of pieces uh, uh, and that they get to the point where you just have to, where they just get harder and harder. It's, it's a very different approach to puzzle design. And I personally like um, that um, you have the entire thing in front of you. Now, I don't like this kind of approach to puzzles where you have to, um, uh, you have a big, Usually this is the this is a problem with 3D puzzle games. That's why I'm not really into those where you have a lot of things like that are spread out. You have a big playing field where a lot of uh, uh, um, variables, mechanics, optics, obstacles are all, are, are all over the place and you have to keep walking around and figure out how do these pieces fit together. Mm. And that's one thing that I like about The Witness. I think that a lot of people struggle with. They come on this beautiful island and I'm just looking at this square and it's just filling up my screen and it's just totally abstract. That's the part that I like, that you have an overview of the entire thing the whole time. And I like that it's so reductive and I like that it's so simple that it also is not concerned at all with with uh, a lot of the big indie uh, um, talking points, uh, it, like game development talking points over the last few years. Like it's not really concerned with stuff like juice. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing in there when you start moving uh, uh, moving your, your cursor, your thing around in the maze. It doesn't wobble. It doesn't like uh, go crazy or give insane amounts of over feedback. It just is really what it is, and I, I like that because that's something that Jonathan Blow does well. He just has he has a, a vision. Of course, it's a big team we're talking about here, but it's the yeah. vision of one one person obviously that made this game, the development of the game possible, and uh, he has a vision and he releases it through to the end. And uh, this game is one of the many games that came out this year that has been in development for a long time. And Jonathan Blow said, and I really like this, he said this about The Witness well, we made The Witness 1, 2, and 3, and you're getting the third one, and this is the best one. And right. This is so true about <laughs> game development, right? I mean, and if you, it's part of the creative process, it's part of the process uh, anytime if you're doing any kind of art or if you're doing any anything that involves uh, some creativity, that you are, you have to be ruthless about discarding stuff that doesn't work. Obviously, it's the most important part of the creative process. And and even though it's a long game, The Witness, it's still fundamentally uh, um, simple. It's 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 simple, even though it it gets uh, um, the puzzles get pretty difficult. It takes you a long time to complete them and to figure some of it out. But um, 
it's a simple concept at its core. And I like that. And um, another thing that Jonathan Blow said, it's uh, one of the core design principles that they had with the game was no red herrings. So there's nothing in the world that um, tells you that it might be about something that it's not. The puzzles are all exactly about what they seem to be about and the world and everything in the world, every detail in the world. And there's no, it's an absolutely beautiful world, but it's not filled with detail that it's just there for the sake of it. So everything has a purpose and everything leads back to what the game is essentially about. Mm. And it's kind of uh, coupled with my one of my other uh, favorite games this year, which has a lot of problems. That's the, the Last Guardian, which I think is the complete opposite of that philosophy, which <laughs> is everything is red herrings, basically. Yeah, mm. and which that is kind is of so funny true. if you think about it. How can because how can I like both uh, of those approaches? How can I like both games that are one is essentially about not misleading you in any way, and the Last Guardian constantly mis- mis- misleads you, and and it does so both in the world design, which is it's it's very embellished. It's very uh, beautiful in the way that i have to say this triple a games tend to be like they add just insane amounts of detail into the world that to me just feels like noise a lot of the time i think the last garden is a beautiful world but it has a lot of uh, um, the way the world is designed the levels are constructed just the geometry of, of things that feels like you're constantly being led into parts of the world that have no meaning or that are not gameplay relevant Mm-hmm. However, I think the reason why I started to be okay with that eventually is because it's very much part of the design that is so antithetical to how a lot of game development is done and how even my philosophy is. Like, there's a lot that The Last Guardian does that you would normally not do. Like, it, it has some approaches to to game design that work uh, only because of the the emotional bond that you develop with the main character, with the game itself. And it relies on that. It relies on that trust that you have in the creature and the trust that you have in the world. And that's why certain things work that I think wouldn't work in other games. But I didn't actually want to talk about The Last Guardian. I just, yeah, I wanted to mention The Witness and how that sort of relates to The Last Guardian. They're two completely different games designed very much uh, with different uh, uh, principles in mind. And yet I end up liking them both. But um, since I am on The Last Guardian, I think, Ben, that's one game that you have played that um, you didn't enjoy much, right? That, yes, that is a fair assessment. (laughs) Okay, well, tell me about it. (laughs) Uh, So I have to preface this by saying I know some people who worked on the game or helped with the game, so I don't want to be just a complete total jerk about it because I respect everything they do with it. But I can say that uh, as a big fan of Oeda's previous games, um, especially Eco, mm-hmm. uh, I was looking for for The Last Guardian just as much as anyone else. And unfortunately, I was just as much as I love the world. And there's a bunch of little things I noticed throughout the game as I played that I really liked, including one thing I mentioned uh, before was how the fact that the game world is actually just one seamless world, but you don't mm-hmm. really notice it. And, you know, except when you die, nothing loads. There are no doors that block off uh, loading screens or anything like that. That is pretty neat. Um, and there are a bunch of those little things that are all under the hood that I think I won't really be able to appreciate until I, you know, get to see a GDC talk on it or something, um, that kind of tech stuff. But as far as a game goes, yeah, I was, I haven't, I haven't yelled at a game that much in a long time. In fact, the last game that made me swear that much, I think was Ninja Gaiden 1 on the NES. Uh, and a lot of it was 
fundamentally realizing that I had a disconnect with what I thought the game should be doing and should be asking me to do and what I guess the game, you know, whatever the game was deciding that was. So I think it was almost like we just, Last Guardian and I had to admit that we just had irreconcilable differences and just wasn't going, going to work. But I soldiered through it just to, uh, uh, just because I felt like I, I owed it at least that much. Um, I didn't, I didn't finish the game yet. Uh, I mean, mostly I, I'm hoping for an update that would disable those button prompts just because they're so annoying. Um, I don't wanna, I, I don't want the game to tell me every time I'm near a wall that I can jump, or that, that I can, uh, do whatever. It's just so much noise and it's, it's like, Eco didn't have this. So why does this game have it? It's just so disappointing. Um, but, uh, one thing that happened to me, um, I mean, sometimes I, I do pause and try to think, okay, like, hmm, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And I, I move around, I flail, I try to just, just figure out a puzzle and then I eventually do. But one really very simple puzzle early on, I didn't know what to do. And, um, I kept trying to, like, uh, this is what usually happens with, especially 3D puzzle games, is that when you're stuck, you're so hopeless that you try and think of bizarre things to do because <laughs> maybe, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Sure. So I tried all kind of things. I, I took the, the food for Trico, tried to drag it someplace that maybe he needs to be in a specific spot. And of course, I mean, Uera wouldn't do this kind of stupid thing where you have to... Uh, uh, bizarrely drag a creature into a specific hidden spot. But I mean, I mean, I, I was just trying, like, my mind was just racing with, with, uh, ideas. And then, um, there are two areas and there's a, a, a long, uh, stairway leading, uh, upwards. And, uh, apparently what I was doing is every time I was climbing or, or just walking upwards, I was playing with the camera because, you know, just like everyone right. else said, the camera isn't very good. So I was playing with the camera and I, but what happened is that when I, on in one of the many times that I went upwards, I wasn't messing with the camera. And what happened is that when I was walking up, the camera just gently shifted up and it showed me a glowing window that, and it's kind of basically telling me this is where you're supposed to go. And I just thought that this is really, this is unfortunate because if, if, if the game had a good camera system, I wouldn't be messing with it all the time, which means I would have gotten this gentle message early on, but I didn't. Um, mm -hmm. and this is a simple thing. A, a lot of people, um, uh, struggled with different, much harder puzzles, but I think it all fundamentally boils down to this, where the game is, is some, sometimes it's trying to communicate something to you, but it's not clear. And, uh, I, I appreciate all the work that goes into designing puzzles in a 3D environment because I realize how incredibly, incredibly difficult it is. But at the same time, it's just like when it doesn't work, it's really, it, it, it feels, um, very annoying, uh, and, and just very frustrating to, to not know what to do, which might be fine in a puzzle game, but at one point you just feel, uh, tired and, and, uh, bored of it. Um, and 
with the witness i i unfortunately i didn't give it a chance just like a lot of games that i played earlier this year when i kind of wasn't in the mood to uh, actually sit down and figure out what a game is about but what annoyed me with the witness is that i felt that some of the puzzles it's not that they weren't so clear but i wasn't able to figure out what that like what the trick is with this with this group of puzzles and this annoyed me quickly and i started just uh doing random things like just just random lines trying to figure out instead of trying to think about how to solve this group of puzzle uh consciously and that ruined it i think for me and i i i hope to return to it one day because braid is one of my favorite games and to see you marco praise the witness um a lot uh, makes me think that maybe i i, I just missed out on how i should be playing the game like maybe i didn't get it and maybe i need to visit it uh, another time and um just a uh a detour on on what you said about uh Jonathan Blow's culling of, of ideas and, and uh, discarding a lot of things. Uh, this is actually something... Um, so with photography, in the last episode, I said that I've been wanting to uh, uh, take photos seriously since I was a teenager. And one of the things that I only recently realized, maybe last year, is that um, w- when you see photos, especially photographs like you, you you go to a photogra- photo- photographer that you like on instagram or on Flickr, and you see their photos and everything is perfect so you go outside and you start shooting and like you take a photo and it's not good and and like there's this voice in the back of your head just telling me that i can't be a photographer like i can't take a good photo and it took me a long time to realize that when i see a good photo like by a photographer he probably maybe took i don't know that day, like if it's street photography, maybe he took 500, 600 photos and maybe he mm-hmm. just chose 20 out of them. Yep. And it took me a lot of time to realize that every single photographer is like this. You shoot a lot and a lot of it won't be good. But the more you practice, the more you figure out how to uh, take good ones. And eventually when you take 100, maybe at the beginning you will only have five good ones. Maybe you will have 10, maybe few years from now maybe you, most of them will be good but this is something that i think um is difficult to to catch in game design because i mean if it took me this long to to realize how it should be done with photography some and it's a really linear path of photography i can't imagine how difficult it is for a designer to realize from all the many many different things that they're designing and implementing how something isn't working it's really difficult and it's really great to see especially independent designers because most of the time they're really in control of 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 their uh their thing in their game it's great to see people who get that and who try to spread that knowledge because sometimes it's just really hard to get and and uh, as as uh, a game developer or as uh, as a maker you might not even reach that state like you might just end up pushing out a lot of games, but not really understanding that you don't really need to put everything. I think that's almost impossible, to be honest. I I think it's impossible to not, if you're releasing something, 
as a, a, an artist or a creative, if you're putting anything out into the world, you will have to gone through that process already. You will have gone mm. through the process of, of having discarded a lot of what you do. Yes. And, yeah. and in, in, uh, in game development, especially I have, and it's dangerous to say that you have to understand when something is not working the way you, you just said that before, because it's not about that. It's, it's about, it's a process and, 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 and everything is part of that. Every failure is part of that. And it's not about, mm. uh, okay. Wow, I wish I hadn't failed five times and then the sixth time. I wish I had, I would have gotten it right this, the first time, but it was only the sixth time I got it right or something like that, which is mm. weird to say that because you couldn't have gotten it right uh, if you hadn't yep. failed five yes. times before. And if you mm -hmm. hadn't found the path to that, I mean, uh, and that's the case for everything. I mean, I have had work, I've worked on things with my, my game. I have discarded a month, like, uh, uh, I'm just like, like one instance, like one, a whole month's worth uh, of work that I just suddenly realized this doesn't, this doesn't work. This is not the direction I wanted to go in. And I had to finish this whole part of the game to understand, Hey, wait a second. This doesn't, this is the wrong direction. And it gave me an understanding of what it's actually about. And so it took a month for that. So that's my process. And of course it's yeah. freaking frustrating as hell, but it's part of that. I mean, we talked about this before, Mo, uh, Kubrick uh, spent an entire year figuring out how the aliens in 2001 should look like. And if you've seen the movie, you know there are no aliens in the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's why. Because it took him a year to understand that there shouldn't be any aliens in the movie. And he has he, he tried everything. He tried every single thing that he could think of to uh, to how to photograph those those aliens, how to do uh, um, put people into weird costumes, camera effects, and so on. And right. it just... It, and he came to the conclusion after a year, you know what? We should probably not show aliens. But that, it was, that was the, he had to go through, he had to try everything. He had to exhaust every option to understand there is no other option than to not show them. And this is unfortunately the case in, in, uh, in every kind of, uh, um, medium that I can think of that I've worked in. You discard a lot of stuff. It's like sculpture, right? I mean, you just mm. chip away. And, uh, and eventually you get to the core of what it is. And sometimes it's the tiny little thing. And then people see it and they say, well, I could do this. Mm. And that's the kind of, that's why people think that that's where that thinking comes from. They see the result. Right. And they think, well, it's just a, a, a little circle. It's a, it's a little circle on the screen. What is this? I could do this, right? I'm just, I'm just pulling something out of my ass right now. But, and, and then <laughs> they think, okay, um, I could do this, but they don't understand everything that had to be chipped away around that to arrive at that thing and so unless you've gone through the creative process you really you you never see that you never see that part of the work so i think it's very important that creators talk about that because everyone goes through that everyone yeah yeah and, and i think that's also why uh even though you know playing the last guardian i i can't say i had a positive experience i also feel like i can't just disregard the whole game because i don't know like all the decisions that were made. I don't know all the tech behind things. I don't know all the creative decisions behind what, you know, where things got to. And again, I think it's also, it's also very easy to take things for granted. You know, there were moments when I was playing the game where I was very frustrated, but then I would sort of look around at the world and sort of see some animation happening and, and see Trico doing his thing. And I would just look around and say, okay, like, let's not be a snotty kid here. Let's just appreciate for a second 
hmm. how much ridiculous technology and artistry and you know animation or whatever has mm -hmm. gone into just this one moment I'm seeing that I like I don't know how this is being done you know I don't make these kinds of games this is all way beyond my ability yeah uh, and this game wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago I don't think I don't think it would have been possible in many ways um, even a few years ago just because of I'm sure just the crazy amounts of tech that had to get uh, oh, yeah. sorted out just just to make things work mm -hmm. and i and i think maybe in some cases uh well i think with the game maybe the ambition was just was just greater than perhaps the technology or some of the design ideas could allow or maybe there was a bit of a like just a slight disconnect between the design concept and the tech concept for it absolutely and it's the tech concept of it that i'm just like i'm in love with that i just look at and say i, I don't even understand how this is possible yeah um it's just for me it's unfortunate that I, I just could not connect with the gameplay in the way I wanted. I understand. The first in the first two hours I was ready to hate the game. I was ready to put it down and just to never pick it up again. And I think it's just this game that I love despite everything. I can see all the problems with it. I've written about the problems. I've mm -hmm. talked about it and I think you're totally right. I can I can see anyone who loves games and who who appreciates good game design coming away from this game thinking I love it or I hate it just because there's so many infuriating uh, design decisions in there. There's so many things that don't work, but I can also see that there's the decisions have that have been made that don't work for me. They're not part of a design principle that that is 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 true for the entire game. Like it's not something that you have all the problems with those those obnoxious tutorial prompts with the 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 twitchy camera with the uh, a lot of the problems. In other aspects of the game, they're not there. It's like a totally different design philosophy. There's there's mm -hmm. things that are that the game teaches you organically in a way that I've rarely ever seen in other games. That is just at the total opposite end of the spectrum to those constant, incessant tutorial prompts, uh, button prompts that you get through the game. So for me, it's kind of uh, I had to just hold on to that, and eventually the game just grabbed me. And despite all of of its problems. I ended up loving it, but I, I assure you, I'm totally aware of all its problems, and it's it's going to be a game that that is for me personally and my personal uh, um, gaming history is going to go down as a game that I love despite its problems. And I think you have to acknowledge those because it's not true that a game once it's uh, once it amazes you or once you're totally in love with it that you just totally disregard all of it. You shouldn't do that. You should be able to see uh, those problems. And I think the Last Guardian. You can see the troubled development that the game had in so many aspects of the game. I agree. Um, you talked about Inside, and uh, I loved Inside. I, I played it. Um, I finished it once, and then I kind of played it halfway through again. And um, Inside is the kind of game that I love, but it's difficult for me to say why I like it because, um, like when looking, like when I try to think about the game, a lot of the game is about you, um, you know, walking and running and climbing a ledge and going to the other side, and and a lot of it feels automatic in the way that. Everything, or sorry, most things feel obvious that it's, it's, it's not uh, difficult for you to figure out what to do, but it does have puzzles. They're not very difficult puzzles, but you just have to think about them. And, um, what I love about it is that it only has a few puzzle sections, but 
every one of them I really absolutely loved um, and every one of them has you standing and, and just trying to think how to solve it and then suddenly you realize how to do it and, and just go and do your thing and it happens and it just feels good but I wonder if you Marco have a better thoughts about it because I loved everything about the game I absolutely loved what happened uh, in the end uh, like not the ending it's, it's not that it's just shock ending but but they do something at the end of the, of the game that's really beautifully well done but as much as I love it it's difficult for me to explain why mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I can understand that but Maybe I'm not even the right. Per- I mean, uh, it's it's been a while already since I played it, but I, I love the game way too much to talk about it objectively. Probably for me, it's essentially a flawless game, and I, I know a lot of people will disagree with that. Mm. It, it, it's 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 strange uh, in a way that uh, a lot of the time the criticism that the game gets is uh, like Limbo. You know, Limbo used to get the criticism of oh, it's trial and error, as if trial and error was somehow fundamentally not part of game design like as if trial and error was never part of as if that was somehow not a legitimate way of designing anything when trial and error is how we get through life and trial and error is is uh, is totally fine it's it's and it's an essential part of 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 game design uh it's just about how does the player feel about that and how does does he feel it's fair how he's experiencing certain things and um but I don't want to get into that too, too much. I just think from for me from start to finish, it's basically a flawless game because it does it does storytelling in a completely it's just completely visual storytelling. There's no words in the game from start to finish. Has absolute... I'm so I'm so jealous of that. <laughs> Whenever I see games that do that correctly, I say, "What the hell am I doing? I'm an idiot." Look at- <laughs> you know that's that's so hard. And I mean, I really, really, really appreciate good writing in games, but it's just so rare. It's just so, so, so rare. Whenever people say, oh, this game has good writing, this game has good writing, it's really not true. To the standard of what we're expected to in games, yes, maybe. I agree. Not really like literary standards or anything like that. It's just like B, C, D movie tier. You know, it's like, it's not really what you would. And I think I love visual storytelling because that's, that's, uh, you can get away with a lot of things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get away with. I mean, that's why we had Super Metroid and then we had Metroid Other M, right? Because Mm -hmm. Super Metroid was all visual storytelling and Other M was everything literalized and everything went wrong because you saw someone have a a vision for what the game should be if everything was literal, like if people were talking, if everything was exposition and so on. And then you see, well, oh, it should have stayed like that. It should have stayed so minimal. It should have, we should have never filled in those gaps, you know, that filled our imagination because it's just so much more interesting what we can come up with the, all the gaps in, in, I think that's, a, that's a, the case in any, any art. You want to, the, the art of leaving enough gaps so that the player can put themselves into something or the, the, the person who interacts or engages with the, with whatever art it is. Um, because if there's no gaps, there's no, there's there's nothing there. You can't engage with something that tells you everything about it. Oh, t- oh yeah. You're speaking my language, Marco, for sure. <laughs> I mean, look at look at my Steam forums for home, and we could get into this discussion all day. Right. Because <laughs> I I uh, I have a hard time with games that just. I mean, I make games with obviously lots of text, uh, but one of the goals of them is always to never have too much text at once ever. Always to make things feel like the pitter-patter of conversation between people as they're moving through a space as opposed to 
uh, hard stopping you with like a lot of games do with a ton of exposition and things like that. Um, and because my games up to up to this point have relied on text, it's sort of like a major design challenge and, and, and a big balance. But um, one of the things about that that I often get irritated with in other games is that developers just can't help but want to tell you everything you could possibly know Mm -hmm. in like any moment. And so I'm a teacher. So, you know, teaching kids how to make kids, 20 some year olds, uh, (laughs) teaching people how to make games, uh, which is a huge technical issue and, and has a lot of challenges with it. Um, the thing I learned very early on was about how to get people on board in stages, how to onboard people onto an idea, how to get them learning in, uh, in sort of blocks so that they get just enough to, to move on to the next block and they build from there. And so you're only ever giving them just enough so that they get it. They can, uh, like you say, uh, make mistakes and play around and see the ramifications of those mistakes and then move on so that they can build on those mistakes and that knowledge so that when they get to, you know, this, the next block, it's just a whole new set of challenges and they have just what they need to keep going. So they're driving their own education in that way. Uh, and I find game design is the exact same thing. That's how you get people on board with games. You can yeah. only give them what they need to get going. So I always like it's, I agree with you. It's so hard to find a game that either gives you just, that, that gives you just enough, you know, that tells you visually what you need to know to sort of, uh, uh, buy into something as well as be able to understand it mechanically and I also find it's really difficult, you know, like in my case, to to write things where you don't uh, just dump a bunch of stuff on people. So it's really interesting to hear you say that about it. I should probably give that game you should like the 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 chance it deserves. Absolutely, and there's there's a tendency to to um, you know that's a trend we've seen over the past decade or so with the rise of uh, YouTube and 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 everything like like nerd culture basically. Uh, getting going to the mainstream with comic book movies and all of that stuff uh mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen this this uh people wanting to explain everything or finding the hidden truths in things or uh, trying to find what is the the person or what is the artist really trying to say what is he really trying mm-hmm. to say and you have uh videos and podcasts and people trying to analyze and finding every detail not understanding that that the ambiguity is part of the process it's part of the idea and you're not trying to literalize and filter it down into one thing that it's supposed to be about. And so people get frustrated with games like Limbo or Inside that really um, might tell you... Inside actually tells more of a story than than, than Limbo. It, it it tells you a lot about its its world through the visuals and everything. And you can really build your own story from that. But wanting to distill this into one narrative that it follows and then being frustrated if it's not possible is something that is totally foreign to me. I don't really understand mm-hmm. that. I don't understand why... Because... All art to me is 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 fundamentally emotional. I find that that and it works on an emotional level, even though it's it's you can be very scientific and precise in creating it. The effect that it has on you is still fundamentally emotional, and you engage with it intellectually. Yes, sure, but this is also another thing that that Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, has said is that for him, movies are more like music. They don't have to work necessarily on a logical level. They just connect with you on a on a much more fundamental and in uh, fundamental emotional level. And I find games are are uh, the games that I like the most are just are just like that. And for me, Inside is one of those games where I feel I know everything about this world when I'm done, but I'm not interested in figuring out one this cohesive narrative that it's supposed to be following. And 
um, just to cap off maybe the inside talk, um, it does something, the game does something at the very end that I don't know personally uh, how how it is technological technologically, how it is how that is done. I have no idea. And I think Mo agrees with me on that. Interesting. I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to do it and spoil it. I, I, I think you should play it, uh, Ben, but, um, even having played the last guardian, being completely baffled by that, some of the behavior, some of the AI behavior of, of, of Trico, I, I still think that what insight does at the end, I really don't know how it's accomplished. And I know it's, it's a game made in unity too. And, uh, um, I'm just totally b- baffled by the behavior of, of, mm. uh, uh of that thing that happens at the end and how interactive and dynamic it is. And, and it does that on top of everything else on top of the, the, the amazing atmosphere, the visual storytelling, the really um, distilled puzzle design that it, that it has. Like people uh, uh, sometimes uh, will complain about, well, why, why don't they escalate the puzzles? There's a big puzzle in the middle of the game that, uh, um, that has you, that has more moving parts than the game usually has to its puzzles. Mm-hmm. And it involves involves a lot of things that you would see in other games, uh, basically being the core concepts of of a puzzle game. And then they escalate this and add more parts to it. And with Inside, it really does it maybe twice, and then that's it. And then you've seen yeah. that puzzle and that kind of design. And uh, why I do like the other approach of escalating a kind of uh, core design, I think it's so refreshing to see that. And it's the reason why this game took, of course, seven, eight years to make, because... It's um, how long is it? Like four or five hours, maybe something like that. Oh, I'm not really sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's just pure and distilled from start to finish. You, you just mm. feel you can, you can play this game from start to finish and never feel like you're, you're um, experiencing something twice. You can, you, it, everything feels directed yet. You feel um, like you're being part of something of an experience that is, uh, really unique and that is when it's over you know it's not going to come again something quite like this mm. yeah yeah enough gushing no 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 that's great I think you've touched on a bunch of great things and that I think about a lot because it's so uh, every, everyone comes to games with sort of different expectations or different things that they like but uh, especially as creators you can look at games and sort of appreciate when something is uh you know, like to use the music analogy, just like it's got just as many notes as it needs. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I did uh, love inside. I also played another uh, puzzle kind of game brothers, which you also recommended mm-hmm. to me, Marco. Mm-hmm. And um, they're both, they, they both work differently. Uh, inside is more subdued while brothers is trying to tell a clear story and I just love both of them because both of them felt like, uh, games that had bright amount of puzzles, um, had really good direction, um, good sound design, everything. And, uh, I really love these experiences, which nowadays it feels like you can only get them from smaller independent teams who can run through a vision and just stick to it instead of just adding more and more to, to them. And, um, two games I want to quickly just talk about, um, uh, so I love RTS games. I love uh, 4X games, like stuff like Civilization, which take uh, an infinite amount of time to finish uh, one match. Um, and before Civilization 6 came out, I was looking for a, a space game to to play. Uh, I, th- I think at that time we 
almost wrapped up the Shovel Knight project and I wanted to reward myself with uh, with a, a game that can just basically suck up all my time. And huh. it, even though there are a lot of really great uh, forest games out there, I don't know why I decided to play Endless Space 2 because right now it's an early, sta- early access stage, which means it's not yet finished. But something about it just felt right to me. I, I, I bought it, I played around, and the game, you know, it, it's a sequel, which means um, since it's an early access, the developer felt it's safe not to have a tutorial early on because at this stage, the game is really just released for the dedicated players or the, 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 the fan base of the game. So I am playing a forex game, which are usually complex and deep without any kind of tutorial. And I messed around a lot. I watched tons of YouTube uh, videos on on how to play the game. And even then, I, I didn't come out with much. And I just had to play it and figure stuff out on my own until it suddenly clicked in my head what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing. And... Um, Ever since then, I played something maybe 25, maybe 30 hours of the game, and I just uh, love it. I, I didn't play Civilization VI as much as I hoped I would. Um, I intend to go back to it, but something about Endless Space 2. Maybe it's just the setting, because I love space, and I love these uh, games that are set in space. Um, but everything about Endless Space 2, especially the UI, because usually... User interface in, in strategy games is extremely awful. It has tons of fonts, tons of uh, shadow effects, and just awful, awful uh, type, and and not a good way to to convey information. And even though Endless Space Two didn't have a tutorial, which means I had to dig stuff on my own, like the way everything is presented, like the the clean user interface was something just refreshing. And every time. I start another strategy game. It's just disappointing how bad everything is compared to Endless Space 2. Uh, so I, I look forward to them polishing it more. Um, I hope it it, uh, it reaches a stage where I can run it on my laptop because right now it, it, it doesn't and I don't blame it. Um, but yeah, this is a, a one strategy game that I just it came out of nowhere and I'm just I fell in love with it. Um, and another game that I really loved and I was really excited for it was Forza Horizon 3 because mm-hmm. the funny thing about Forza or just car games, racing games in general is that I really don't love cars in real life. Um, I don't love driving. I only most of the time just go to work and come back and that's it. Uh, and I understand absolutely nothing about cars and or engines or any of that like i i know nothing about it right but at the same time i really love playing racing games and not just stuff like mario kart but i, I like i i love the uh grid series the burnout stuff um even gran turismo and forza motorsport which are more realistic than arcade and Forza Horizon, what made me really excited for it is that it's uh, Forza Horizon is made by Playground Games, which is a studio uh, of of a lot of different teams. Some of them from Bizarre, who made the Project Gotham Racing, another series that I really loved. Um, and it's just a superstar studio, basically, of different uh, defunct gaming studios who made a lot of really good uh, racing games. And it's an arcade racer. It's not like Forza Horizon is different from Forza Motorsport, and I really yeah. wanted 
a, 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 an arcade racer. And lastly, it's an open world racer. And generally, I don't, right now, I don't really enjoy or like open world games, but I, when I know that it, it had an open world map, it reminded me of Burnout Paradise because it's, it's my, it used to be my favorite racing game. And I spent something like 60 to 70 hours playing um, Burnout Paradise with my friends, and I just loved it so much. And it's one of the few games that I usually don't really play online games, competitively or not. And Burnout Paradise was one of the few games that um, just made it so fun to play with friends. And Forza Horizon basically turned out to be much better than what I hoped for. It, It replaced... Burnout Paradise in my mind as my favorite racer. It uh, the map is beautiful. The races are really fun. Uh, I mean, if, if if you dig deeper into it, you will find a lot of AAA problems in terms of UI and and the amount of information that they throw at you. But in general, as a racing game with a massive map that you can uh, just drive around when you're not feeling uh, like playing a, a, a race or a time trial it's just so much fun to play and uh, i played it for 50 hours but it really didn't feel like that like with doom like those mm-hmm. 40 hours i felt every hour of them I, I knew that i was playing this game for a long time but with forza horizon i just didn't feel it it, it was just so so relaxing and so fun to play it and um i did buy the expansion that the winter something basically <laughs> the canada expansion yeah, I, I really loved it uh, a lot. I, I only played it for an hour. I look forward to exploring it. Uh, it's, it's a separate map. It seems to be of a decent size. But I just loved everything about Forza Horizon. And it's a game that, to me, came out of nowhere. Because I didn't play Forza Horizon uh, 1 or 2. And I didn't really care that much for uh, the Forza Motorsport series, just because it's too realistic uh, for my taste. And Forza Horizon just really came at the right time where I didn't know that I wanted a racing game until uh, a few weeks before it was released. Uh, and I loved it so much that I bought the Ultimate Edition, which is really expensive. It's for something like, a, I think it was 100 bucks, and you get um, an early access for four days or maybe five days. And I bought it just because of that because it it gave me a head start in terms of i think the game originally releases in wednesday or tuesday but if you uh get the ultimate edition you get it uh friday which is my weekend and that was great so i spent all friday and saturday just playing it Uh, didn't have work or anything and it's just a beautiful beautiful game that um to me it's an instant classic and uh, um just my my favorite racer and That's I know a, you played it a little bit, Ben. Yeah, well, it's funny that you said that because everything you described is exactly my experience with Forza Horizon 2. Oh, so okay. That every, everything you said about coming at racing games from a certain perspective, not being sure what, you know, if you're even going to enjoy it, suddenly getting all on board and then just kind of like jumping in with both feet was exactly what happened with Forza Horizon 2. That was the racing game that made me realize I think I might like racing games. But then I realized, no, wait, I like this racing game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, ju- it's just this. And there, there was a t- uh, when Forza Horizon 2 came out, there was a time where I had to do a bit of traveling. Um, and I don't own a car. Um, so the only time I drive is when I have to leave the city and I rent one. Uh, 
And so when I go out on the highway back to the country to go visit family or whatnot, like it's, I just sort of throw the Forza Horizon 2 soundtrack on a little playlist, <laughs> maybe find a nice straightaway, pretend I'm cruising through some beautiful European countryside and just uh, and just have fun. Because that was that's the game that made me think, you know, maybe I would like to buy a two hundred thousand dollar, you know, Italian sports car and rip yep. it around somewhere. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but you didn't play much of three. So I was super excited for three. That trailer was like the only thing at E3 that made me excited about video games because I was just not really interested in a lot of the other stuff that was shown. Mm. But when I saw the trailer for three, I went, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. Like, I'm ready to jump back into this. Mm. Um, and I jumped in, was totally excited. But I think it was when it oh, – I forget exactly when it came out. It was, but when it came out, I had – a few too many things fighting for my attention. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't in the right mindset. So I've only played, I played way less than I expected to. And I know I will probably come back to it at some point when mm -hmm. I just have that hankering again. I bet you, especially as spring sort of creeps up and mm -hmm. the snow starts to melt, I'll, I'll want to see that beautiful, you know, this beautiful countryside and, mm -hmm. and feel the joy of driving a sports car again. Um, but I didn't hit me the way Forza Horizon 2 did. But I also think that Horizon 2 was almost just like a bit of a first love. Like you just can't quite yeah. replicate that feeling again. So, yeah. uh, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But it's funny when they announced the expansion pack was basically just right as winter was coming uh, here. And I was thinking, man, that's such an expansion, but no way do I want to replicate what it's actually like to drive a car right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe when the, maybe when it's on sale. Yeah, we don't have snow in Kuwait. Like, I mean, it, it, it is cold right now. It does get as low as, uh, four degrees sometimes, maybe five, maybe six, which I know isn't, I mean, maybe, maybe that's summer for some of you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, because we don't have snow, uh, to me, like snow is this uh, mythical thing that I only get to see in games and sure. in a while when I travel. So it's funny how, how it's, it was exciting for me, but it was just everything you don't want uh, for you. Yeah, it's. I feel like there should be a super cut of uh, Horizon 3 expansion footage with like local TV news footage about accidents that happen after there is like a heavy <laughs> snowfall. And we could yeah. just sort of market it as like a Canadian-specific game. <laughs> so is there something else you guys want to talk about? Oh, sorry. I fell asleep there for a second. What were you guys talking about? Cars? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I, I knew you were going to say something about this. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. This is like my, this is like my kryptonite or this, this is like my war games for, for Ben. That's it's like, right. I like I, I, cars is like, or like, it's like a stapler. I look at a stapler and I think, okay, that's what I, that's what I feel when I look at a car. And that's what I feel when I look at a racing game. So that's so funny. That's a great way to put it. I don't really have anything to, to contribute. I don't even have, I'm 34. I don't have a license. I don't drive. Mm. So I have no connection to anything, not to driving, not to cars. So I remember one time in, in, in Switzerland, um, I was like a, a Mercedes uh, went by and I just was looking at it. And I, I, I love certain kind of Mercedes cars. And I was just gushing about it. And, and you told me how, how you don't get get that and i told you like don't you think it's good and you told me well it has wheels and you drive it and that's it like nothing else about it is really appealing to you which is uh yeah funny. sometimes um, people ask me what kind of car that was i don't know with some context and i'm like i don't know it was red it was i don't know blue 
that's usually the most I can say about a car. And <laughs> yeah. I also think that they're fundamentally ugly. I have no like aesthetic appreciation of cars at all in any way whatsoever. I do, however, like when I sit in a car and sometimes like the haptics of things and how it's designed and so on, mm. I kind of get a kick out of that. But really other than that, it's just it's just totally something totally alien to me. So I don't even want to contribute other than saying I don't understand cars. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So anything else you guys want to talk about or should we I think, wrap it up yeah maybe this is a good point to wrap it up i mean i'm i'm sure there's other stuff to talk about but uh yeah, yeah i feel exactly. like i've yeah. said my whatever i wanted to say and uh, unless you guys want to add something i'm 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 good no i am i am totally on the same page okay great good um so this has been a really fun a couple of episodes where we basically talked about everything we played um this year um unfortunately i didn't get a chance to talk about final fantasy 15 and the main reason is that i mean it's such a dense game that i think it might need its own episode or maybe an episode of 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 rpgs where um I am playing Bravely Default, Bravely Second right now i recently finished Bravely Default and uh maybe Ben and I, maybe Lauren, we'll find um, someone who also played the game and we can talk about it. Because as much as I um, dismissed it on Twitter, I do think it has a lot of good stuff in it. Like as much as it has things that really annoy me, I think it has a lot of really good things in it. Uh, and I really want to talk about uh, about it in 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 like, and compare it to something like Brave Default, where it nails. As far as I'm concerned, it nails almost everything uh, uh, in terms of combat system and class system and all of that. It, it really, it was really well done. Whereas in Final Fantasy 15, I felt that most of the time it felt like uh, most of these things were unfinished and, and just not done really well. So hopefully we'll have another episode about Final Fantasy 15 sometime when I think, Ben, you're playing it right now. So maybe when you yeah. progress further. Yeah, that's the one I'll skip. That's the episode that you can leave me out of because it's just <laughs> another one. Like, I, I yeah. watched it and that was enough for me. I watched after yeah. 15 being played yeah. for a few hours. It's interesting, Ben, that you went out. I, I mean, you I'm, I'm a, Yeah, the I'm game. a lunatic. I have no... Just... I'm... I have no... I'm not allowed to say anything about anything again. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, it's I fine. Ha- it's I ha- fine. I hated the game and then for some reason... I just decided to play it <laughs> again, so I'm jump- I'm in the mix, and I'm actually enjoying it quite a lot. Which I don't e- I don't even understand myself. Oh no, honest, Ben! I'm so disappointed. I don't honestly. I don't even. I don't get it. Like it's. I'm such a weird emotional beast where I just pivot on things like that because I find that one thing that uh, that it, that I I guess find exciting, and I'm able to sort of roll with a bunch of stuff. It's mm. like. When we have the podcast, I can talk about it. But yeah. I know Marco, I've 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 disappointed you. I've disappointed pretty much everybody. <laughs> that's fine. Just joke. I mean, and myself. It's good to have someone who likes the game more than me because I don't want it to be a podcast where we're just saying bad stuff about the game because it does have good stuff, and it's good to have someone who does acknowledge these good things, uh, those those um, maybe good designs or whatever it has, uh, instead of just an episode where we just trash the game <laughs> for two well, hours. Well, if you want a laugh track to the episode, I can join you. That's, <laughs> that's the only thing I'm going to be able to provide because I think it's just such a hilariously weird game. Like at every turn, I was just laughing, just baffled by everything. I mean, I find JRPGs baffling in the first place. Like, everything mm-hmm. about them baffles me. But, like... Mm-hmm. 
FF15 is like the most JRPG JRPG that I've ever seen being played. <laughs> I agree. It's, sometimes it does feel like a parody of JRPGs. 